Welcome to Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord, and with me is Ronnie Richard. And uh, on today's episode, we have Matt Monberg from Compassion International. Now, here's the thing, Ronnie, is that we've had people um, start to approach us with ideas, recommendations, suggestions. Uh, and I know you, you and I, I mean, from the, the journalists in each of us, we like to have the editorial process, like have some editorial integrity on choosing, right? Some of these things, um, but we've more and more um, been able to connect with the, some of the most interesting people in philanthropy because of these recommendations. And, and Matt is one of these guys. Tell us a little bit about Matt. So Matt, Ian, he's the journey experience director at Compassion International. So he's, you'll hear in the, in the episode, we talk about this idea that he's very forward looking. And as he's planning out these experiences that the cons his constituents will have, you, they're looking 10, 20 years down the line at what, you know, what kind of interactions they're going to have with the organization. It's, it's really just fascinating, but he also, uh, he's a, he's a, incredible leader in coaching and mentoring people. And we'll get into all of that and kind of his, his past and everything he's done there. But um, you'll, you'll sense this theme of just kind of going for it, you know, just, yeah. just putting yourself out there and going for it. Yeah. I think that the, uh, the idea of putting yourself out there stands out to me. And uh, from the formation of his professional career, up until even the choices that uh, he's making and the chances that he's taking with the compassion team. It's not that they're not well-informed, but there is a presence of courage uh, and a presence of determination that I find to be inspiring in Matt's story and the way that he thinks about the uh, the work and the role that they play in connecting people with their mission. So uh, yeah, I mean, with that, here's Matt Momberg from Compassion International on Group Thinkers. Matt, I uh, I didn't, I don't think I told you uh, that when you were put on on mine and Ronnie's radar. Uh, the way that you were described to us was, uh, mm. hey, y'all got to meet Matt. He's a really forward-looking guy. Okay. I don't even, I to this day, like, I'm still not sure, like, does that mean that you're always looking at, like, next week's calendar? Does that mean that, like, you're... I, I get everything planned. You're Nostradamus? Is that, like... What yeah, that's, that uh, that's, a, that's a new way. I'm, I'm not, I've not been described that way. Uh, beforehand, but um, yeah, I would I would guess that it comes from uh, I'm kind of never satisfied with the status quo, right? And that kind of shows up in my personal life, but also my professional life. Like we we can do better. Uh, we we can do better. What if we did it this way? Uh, what if what if we uh, what if we approach that problem we've never been able to solve through another direction? So maybe maybe that's what they. I, I don't have to ask. Maybe that's what they yeah yeah. You have to ask. Uh, and, and I really, if, if I want to nitpick at it, it was that you're a really forward, like, so there's, there's some sort of variance, by the way, between just being a normal forward looking guy. And then one that really is forward. Yeah. Apparently so. there's some levels to this, to this ranking. Like binoculars uh, or something. 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's that's really telescopic, really forward-looking. Matt Monberg from Compassion International, welcome to Group Thinkers. Um, we're excited to chat today. Uh, I am always excited to have someone um, join who has uh, the bald and beard look as I do to you know pressure Ronnie into joining the club. So. Never know. I mean, it, I mean you've got it kind of under a bushel, just saying a little bit and be kind of. I've, yeah, I've, I've hit it. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, Matt, here's the thing, man. Like, we, we're going to spend tonight, a time today just talking through, uh, talking through your path, talking through the moments that have made a difference in your career up until this point, how you think about, uh, you know, the, the current and future state on the nonprofit giving side. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's apropos because, uh, in your role, you have to think about, uh, as you call it, the supporter experience. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'd like to, you know, maybe just start there, uh, and, and understand how you think about and or define, uh, what the heck is supporter experience? What does that mean to you? And what does that mean to compassion? Sure. Um, so if you if you think about your own lives, well, first of all, thank you for, for having me on. It's a great honor and privilege to be here. I'll try and be appropriately forward looking today uh, as we as we really forward looking, really forward looking, even though you wanted me to be like really backward looking in my in my own journey. We can, <laughs> sure. we can maybe we, sure. we can get superlative in both directions. If we're, OK, if good. Um, but no, when you think about a supporter's experience with. Uh, your organization, uh, you know, how many of us think that, you know, the, the average donor, the average supporter wakes up, rubs their eyes and says, today's the day I'm going to make a charitable gift. Um, it's just, it's not usually the need that presents itself to us on, on a, on a daily basis. It's, it's usually that we wake up and it's, you know, we're pursuing meaning, we're pursuing purpose, we're pursuing a deeper value of which often giving intersects with, um, not always, but 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 sometimes, and that giving is the start of a journey to express that meaning in more concrete ways. And so, at Compassion, um, we invite supporters to uh, sponsor an individual child, and so that meaning is really expressed in a one-to-one sort of way. You get a picture, be able to put it on their, their uh, your refrigerator or in some place important to you. But that that experience, um, just like customer experience, is the sum total of moments that you have from when you became aware that the organization existed and that it might be able to meet a need that you have, um, all the way through to when whatever job you hired that organization to do, you don't, no, you're, you're ready to move on, ready to move to the next part, the next phase uh, that, that you would have and kind of everything in between. And so, you know, a lot of times we think of givers as people who, um, you know, they give us money and we go out and do program and then we take the results of the program and we send it back to them, um, which is a highly transactional way of looking at it, right? You know, resources flow one way, reports and and impact flow the other way. Uh, What we found is that it's actually a lot more deep and meaningful for supporters, uh, at least at, at, at Compassion, that these are choices they make that are about expressing deeply held beliefs and values and becoming more of the person that they want them to be. And so we want to arrange an experience that continues to reinforce that in their lives um, and to create moments of of deep impact to where they 
every time they look at that photo, every time that they see correspondence from Compassion, they say, this experience matters. This is something I want to be involved in now um, and, and always because it just continues to fulfill a, a need that I have. So that, that's how I would look at it, at least at this stage. Matt, how much of that, like, I'm thinking about as you describe that and this idea of forward looking, like how much of that are you looking at this experience that they're getting and planning out ways that they're going to interact with compassion and, and how far out are you planning these things? You know, like how forward looking are you in this? Well, um, you know, given that you can sponsor a child, at least in the compassion context, pretty young, um, you could be looking out 10 to 20 years if you wanted to be, wow. if you wanted to go that far. Uh, you know, you, if you're uh, the dynamics of being uh, the sponsor of a child who is, you know, two or three years old, who uh, is communicating through a caretaker or through a parent um, is totally different than when they enter elementary school and on to high school and then into their, their, their post-secondary uh, life. And so when you look at the child's journey as kind of running parallel to the, the supporter's journey, uh, you have to have those moments along the way that make sense for, for a supporter. So, you know, again, in the compassion context, we wouldn't really be presenting opportunities to give to, let's say, vocational training um, to someone who sponsors a three-year-old. Those things just don't, don't mix. And at the other end, um, you know, we wouldn't really be, um, you know, targeting uh, a supporter for uh, gifts to a uh, you know maternal health uh, if their child is about to leave the program and move on into their career. So when when you think about uh, the, the child, kind of provides you kind of a built-in uh, journey, so to speak, for you to arrange those moments around. And we know that oftentimes that's a pretty long relationship that a supporter can can have. I think the the farther out you look, the better. But the one thing I will say is that experiences and journeys are nonlinear. Um, you know, and supporters show us that all the time. Um, you know, we, we'd like to map them out on a piece of paper. We have done that. It's a very large piece of paper and we can show, you know, the different you know, emotions throughout that journey. But, but it ends up being nonlinear because people and relationships are also nonlinear. Uh, and so they take on that type of characteristic for as much as we want it to be, you know, cut and dried and step by step. Um, it's going to be it's going to be human. And we think that's why it's so sticky is because it's human beings in relationship with one another. And it, it just doesn't tend to follow that um, that cookie cutter or stair step as much as we might like it to. Matt, that makes uh, such a great segue. You said nonlinear. Uh, thinking about that and looking at your career, starting back at the beginning of your career, you, you had you had a couple of different roles. You, were, you worked for Habitat for Humanity, an operations manager, you did some consulting. Take us through kind of the early days of your career, if you could, and sort of like what you learned during that time that you're applying today as you're, you know, thinking about the experiences, but just also in your, your role in general at Compassion. Sure. And also, um, Matt, how in the world a uh, bachelor's degree in political science plays into plays into all of that. Yeah, <laughs> all a, of that. It's a, it, it's a fun story. So, you know, I think growing up. Um, I was uh, uh, fascinated by politics. Uh, whenever I had to do a book report, it was on a president. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, it was on Ronald Reagan. Um, we played Hail to the Chief, made everybody stand up, went to the front of the room, did the, did the presentation. Just totally loved that. Was involved in student government and leadership all throughout my high school and, and college years. 
Uh, and it was in college when I was um, interning at a fairly high level for a couple um, of nationally known political figures that I realized that so much of what we were focused on, so much of what we were working on, had this one-dimensional political impact. No matter how like um, uh, bipartisan or multipartisan that, 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 that it was, um, it was still for this, this very earthly short-term gain. Right, to stay in the public eye, to to become elected, and I was looking maybe with great forward thinking about you know what would my life look like in 20 years. Let me just say I am so thankful that you know around 1997, as I was making these decisions, I I don't think I would like to work in politics today. It's far too polarized. I'm much more um, compromise um, oriented, um, and I've just felt as though we're consistently in that arena forced into um, a, a number of different false choices, uh, which were very, very difficult for me to reconcile at the time. And so very late in my uh, my college career, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to finish out my political science major, but I'm going to take a hard right turn into uh, the kind of the nonprofit third sector, so to speak. There were a number of influences um, that brought me to, to that point. Um, but the main one was just being so involved uh, in uh, where I thought I wanted to go and looking at it and saying, I, I need to be in a place where the church is present and making impact in the world, not in a place where people are vying for power uh, in, in, in our, our, our country. And so that, that really represented a, kind of a little personal earthquake uh, for, for me. I, <clears throat> I actually finished up my degree, uh, but had to remain a student through the spring semester took a course called jogging, not a joke. Um, that was an actual course offered. Um, and so uh, that's when I walked down to the Habitat for Humanity office and said, do you need somebody to, to help? And they said, you can be the construction coordinator. Well, I hadn't built anything. Um, you know, I struggled to build toothpick bridges in science class when I was uh, in, in high school. Um, but what I learned through that experience is that the worst thing you can be told is no. Um, that's, that's really, and, and you're no worse off for being told told no. I mean, I was 21 and walked into a Habitat for Humanity chapter in DuPage County and said, you know, do you need help? Can I, is there anything I can do? I can literally be here full time. Um, and they taught me, this is how you raise money for a nonprofit. This is how we raise gifts in kind. Uh, this is how we approach people. This is how we make our case for support. Um, at that time, we were literally doing it by fax machine, um, you know, faxing requests to people. Um, but it was a, it was a really great time of getting introduced to what this sector was all about, and that was the change I was looking for. You know, people coming together around a mission that you know wasn't going to uh, make money in the for-profit sense. It wasn't going to be a government service. It literally was going to be the people of God coming together and doing something important for people in need. And I thought this is this is what I want to give the rest of of my life to. So that first lesson was just you know. No is not the worst thing that could happen to you. <laughs> getting getting told no, um, uh, and I literally I remember walking in the front door and just saying, you know, I've got I've got this entire semester. Can, do you want to use it? Like it's all it's all I'm here for you. I could jog over anytime. Uh, I could jog over yeah. anytime. It's a that's a subtle plug for the uh, the range of curriculum available at, at Wheaton. Uh, that you know that you can study anything from. You know, things on the, the theological side to political sciences to also jogging. I guess it was my way of like making good on their promise to integrate faith and learning 
right? <laughs> so you, know, you have to figure out how to get that into all of the how coursework. Right. So how do yeah. you integrate faith with jogging? And so, you know, apparently you, you jog on down to Habitat and do some uh, good. That's, that's awesome. It's, it's, it leans towards, you know, some of those sliding doors like moments, right? That, uh, as you said, um, you walked in that day and, and just said, how can I help? And uh, what that's done in terms of your career. So spending time from there going on to leading an organization. Uh, and so, you know, talk to us about that. What did that look like in terms of uh, your time of stepping out in, uh, into smaller organizations, but in a, a significant leadership role? Uh, and, and then from there going to a, a large organization ultimately like compassion uh, in a very instrumental strategic role, like piece those things together for us. Yeah. So it, it started for me with really after that time at, at Habitat, not knowing what I wanted to do next and ending up at a, a an internship program out here uh, in, in Colorado. And I thought I was going to spend the summer outside doing rock climbing and rappelling. And literally about three weeks in, they said, you're really good at other stuff. Could, could you come work in the office? Uh, and so I ended up taking over the internship program and the fundraising for it. But really during that time is where I, I got deeply exposed to several mentors to um, just the, the world of um, fundraising from um, small sustaining donors all the way up to foundations and kind of learned how to do little bits of all of that. Um, spent several years consulting both um, uh, formally uh, in uh, kind of my first, what I would call my first real job, um, uh, outside of the kind of the camp profession, because we got to do a lot of stuff outside. Um, but, you know, we're consulting with, um, you know, large nationally known um, nonprofits helping to resource their mission. Again, just just learning, lear learning a whole lot. And uh, and then 9-11 happened. Uh, and our first daughter was born uh, right after 9-11. Uh, we traveled a lot for work. Um, one of the interesting parts of my story is that when I was uh, younger, when I was nine, my father died in a plane crash uh, in, in Dallas, Texas. And uh, so I grew up for most of my life uh, without my dad. And, you know, he had been traveling for work, uh, you know, and not that, that not that I've ever been, you know, I've traveled the world. It's not, it's not about being afraid of flying, but it was, um, do I have to fly everywhere to do good? Like, aren't there like really great organizations here, like in Colorado Springs? Don't we have like a zillion of them um, that, that we could work with? And so I, I took this bold step to, to start my own, uh, you know, kind of small consulting firm. And I was going to provide fund development and fundraising consulting for um, organizations that couldn't afford one that was as pricey as us. And so I was specifically trying to niche myself in, you know, organizations that needed help, but just they just couldn't afford these very large contracts or really didn't need them. Um, and I'll never forget when I was leaving that, uh, the, the new ownership of that company said, uh, they said, Matt, um, why do you think anybody will pay you? Um, and you know, it was just one of these like, it was like a gut punch, like all the air, all everything. I'm pretty quick on my feet, and I had nothing. Um, and fortunately, um, one of you know my my professional mentors and someone who was you know kind of in my corner as I was leaving, he said, "Well, um, you know, they they pay them right now through us. They they pay them right now." And then, like all of a sudden, that air came back in. And I said, well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe right now to, to do this. And so over the course of 
about 10 years, cultivated a variety of, of clients here locally, one of which is Children's Hope Chest uh, that uh, I, I work both as a consultant and uh, in their fundraising and operations department for, for quite some time. Uh, and uh, but that that again, when I was going out, that whole concept of like, you know, why do you think anybody would 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 pay you? You know, why do you think anybody would would do this? And just seeing my myself and seeing my development through the eyes of a mentor versus through my own eyes. I mean, for me, it was well, of course they'll pay me because I I want them to because I need this to work out because you know I'm wildly optimistic in my youth that that this would be something that would would go well. Um, and to be reminded of like, no, you're actually doing that work right now. And you're doing it in a way that people would want to, to pay you for it was was really life-giving from from uh, that, that particular mentor at that time. What a what a great way to reassure you, because you know, we all have those moments of self-doubt, you know, the fake it till you make it imposter syndrome, right? And to have someone say they're paying you now because you're doing it. Uh, always incredibly helpful. Matt, as you think about that, who are some of the other mentors who've kind of helped you along the way? Like we'll get to, you know, you you paying it forward and stuff like that. But I'm thinking, sure. you know, who's 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 kind of brought you along? You mentioned that one. Were there other some other examples, some other cases of people who've helped you in your career? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. I think that in in those years, I had I had left and. Uh, went to work for one of my clients who is a, a former McDonald's franchisee here in Colorado Springs. His name is Steve Diggory and a very successful, innovative uh, McDonald's uh, franchisee. And he he wanted to write his own business memoir, right? He wanted to write a, a business book of his own business lessons. And I was subcontracted to ghostwrite for that, um, which was like a masterclass in sitting with somebody who had fought and won so many different battles um, about innovation. You want to talk about someone who's forward thinking. Um, this was a guy who figured out how, when credit cards weren't a thing in the quick service industry, um, how to use the tip edit function that waiters and waitresses use in restaurants inside of McDonald's. And he combined two different technologies into one um, and people would pre-authorize a certain amount and they'd write in the total and, and people could then use credit cards. Uh, you know, multiple drive-through lanes. I remember him telling me that people were going to order food on apps. Um, he's like, you're going to order all this on your phone. And it's all going to be parallel service. You're going to be able to call, go in, use an app, do it over the web. It's all going to be like, you know, completely, completely integrated. And I was like, well, man, like, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to order food over, over an app. Like that's crazy talk. Um, but, but being able to, to, to sit with Steve, um, and go through a number of the things that uh, that had made him successful as as a as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, the, the 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 title of the book was "The Box You Got." That, that's what he titled the the uh, because people were always saying like, "Steve, you think outside the box." He's like, "Not really." He's like, "I just you know, you, you got to start with the box that you've got, um, and and you've got to get up and you've got to do something with that box." Like to and for him. That meant working within the constraints of the fast food industry, or you know, later working. With, uh, he had sold his franchises and became um, uh, opened a call center to to take orders for uh, restaurant chains, so that they, their hosts and bartenders wouldn't be taking the, the orders. It would go through a call center. Um, it was pretty pretty fascinating stuff. But um, Steve was always looking at what could be and not necessarily what was, but he was looking at it through the lens of what he had right now. 
um, which again became a very powerful lesson of, you know, you don't have to wait until you have all of these resources or till you have, you know, had 12 McDonald's stores and sold them. Like you don't have to wait for these things. You you innovate as you go. You innovate with what you have. You push the borders of what you have. You know, don't take no for an answer. Um, you know, that was a big one. If I can think about it, the lessons I learned from Steve, it was really about how to not take no for an answer, you know, by, by working within the constraints of, of that box. But the other one was, um, and I still say this all the time to people, um, problems don't get better with age. Um, and, and I absolutely loved that that concept. And we would look at things, or I would look at things when I when I worked for him, and you know, problems don't get better with age. You've got to address them. You've got to address them quickly. Ultimately, I ended up working for Steve in a a, a social enterprise that he started to uh, help put uh, payday lenders out of business. Uh, we tried to create a U.S.-based micro lending uh, uh, organization. Um, so we were a nonprofit that owned a for-profit lender, um, and you know worked on that for a couple of years to uh, see if we could avoid uh, people getting trapped in, in really really high interest payday loans um, by offering lower interest loans combined with financial counseling. Um, <clears throat> not something that worked out long term for me, but learned a ton along the way about how that, that industry works. It's the uh, it's super interesting, man. I mean, f- so first of all, like the uh, this is the first time that I can recall Ronnie that we've had. Uh, a focused conversation on uh, what ghostwriting does, and uh, and and both Ronnie and I have done that uh, many times, many days, many hours. And you're right. There's something about when you're um, there's a difference in the learning style and the mentorship that comes. When you're watching someone do something and you're doing something to be complementary to what they're doing, which is kind of like normal management, like I do this mm-hmm. part and then you do that part versus when you're sitting with someone so that you can interpret and put something out that is to represent them. Like there's mm-hmm. an inherent difference in that sort of thing. And there's a lot of lessons that come from that activity. I think that that's a... Um, Something that I don't know that I've taken uh, enough stock in what that's done for me and the way that I think and uh, and so and so thank you for that. Um, the I noticed on your uh, on your LinkedIn uh, your your header image has a quote from uh, Teddy Roosevelt that I want to ask about. Sure. And uh, and as you're just talking about you know some of these lessons that are quips right that we develop these shorthands. There's this quote that you have. Uh, on your your social profile that says, whenever you're asked if you can do a job, tell them, certainly I can. Then get busy and find out how to do it. Again, it's a Teddy Roosevelt quote. Um, like unpack that. Like what's, what's the relevance of that in, in the way that you think, the way that you approach uh, your objectives right now in your role or even the way that you approach coaching club soccer, like just break out that as a, as a, a part of your, uh, your worldview. Sure. Um, I, I think it goes to that action bias, right? Uh, and I think I do have a, a, an action bias or a fail forward sort of bias. That, that quote was given to me by um, a, a dear friend and former employee. And when um, I moved on from Children's Hope Chest, she, she gave me that quote, it's framed here somewhere. Tidying around here, so oh, it's up there on the wall. Um, 
that, but but she she framed it and she gave it to me and she said, "This is what you represent to me. This is how you led for 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 our organization. This is how you led for me. That if there was ever anything that you didn't know how to do, if there's anything anything that I didn't know how to do as your employee, it was you know just say yes, take the opportunity. Um, it, it's okay if we fail. We'll figure out how to do it. Talented people always figure out a way. Um, you know, I I, I truly believe." That if you hire and invest in talented people, they can do almost anything. You know, now I don't know if that means that they can do brain surgery if they've never gone to medical school. But you know, in the main, you know, in the, in the average, you you can hire really talented people. Make it safe for them to risk. Make it safe for them to take action, and they're going to figure it out along the way. Uh, you know, that's something that um, you know you talked about, like you know, political science and to into this field, you know, a lot of the, uh, of the, the, the content, a lot of what drives that action bias for me is, you know, just how I see people, um, you know, what I believe about human development and what I believe about how uh, we show up at work that we, we all are driven to do our best, right? I mean, you can, you can choose to look at people as, oh, you know, we need to constantly like provide direction and and be very overbearing and crack down and make sure that the plans are there be very top down. Or we can say, hey, you know what? Everybody's kind of on a growth spectrum. Everybody wants to kind of master new things, kind of like babies want to sit up and then roll over and then walk. Like it's kind of programmed into you know who we are as, as humans. And for me, that crystallized in Dan, uh, Dan Pink's uh, TED Talk, The Puzzle of Motivation. Uh, if, if you want to understand what I believe about how people work and apparently what Dan Pink thinks, uh, go go watch that. Uh, and he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That those are the three ingredients to to motivate people. And so when I pair that with a quote like that one from Teddy Roosevelt, it's like, yeah, do people who have autonomy, mastery, and purpose are they willing to say, certainly I can do that job, and then figure out how to do it? Absolutely. And if they've got people around them who believe, yeah, I believe that you can figure out how to do it, and you can do it really well. It's gonna go even. It's gonna go even better. So for me, that's always represented my my action bias. Like never say no because you don't know how to do something. It's just a learning to be discovered, um, which which ties in in some ways to this idea that um, you know if if you possess the belief that you can affect change, you probably can. Uh, and and I think that's well documented throughout human history that people who believe that they could affect change are the ones that affected change. The ones that didn't, the ones that sat out, uh, that quote pairs nicely with the whole, the arena, the man in the arena, um, uh, which is also from Teddy Roosevelt, that those who dare mighty things, those who go into the ring, you know, they may get knocked out, but aren't they better off than the people sitting on the outside of the ring criticizing their performance? I, I certainly think so. Makes me think of uh, something my kids get taught in school all the time, the idea of a growth mindset that don't say, I can't do this. I can't do this yet. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to get there. You take your chances and don't just quit. Like you were saying, don't don't sit on the sidelines and judge and say, oh, look at them. They're failing. Ha, ha, ha. You know, get in there and make it happen. <laughs> so is that something that you like as you are kind of mentoring others and and teaching people and, and, and coaching them? Is that something that you really instill in them? This like this fearlessness of go for it, take action. I don't care if you fail because, you know, you talk about forward looking vision, but, you know, we know you can have a vision, but if you don't have action with it, then you're not going to get there. You have to combine that. Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious, like, is that 
Is yep. that the style that you're you're going for? Yeah, on on our team we have a, a variety of of, uh, of sayings, uh, and kind of some of our core principles are, you know, we want our our work, we want to show up, and and it's um, fun, flat, fast, fearless, and faithful. Right, those are kind of our five F's of the journey experience team, or the jet, as we call it. I've always thought it's ironic that, you know, with my history that I just shared, that I lead a team called the Jet and I have a little plane in my, uh, in my, my, my email signature. Um, but, you know, God is always up to interesting things. But uh, th- those are kind of those five values. But fearless is really where, where, where that would, would camp out in the sense that, um, you know, we're not going to be driven by fear. We're not going to be driven by fear that we don't know how to do something or fear that we're going to fail because failure is our best teacher. Um, our chief marketing officer, uh, Ken Caldwell, uh, had talked about, or he talks about, um, he likes reds and greens, not yellows, right? Like if something is is green or red, you have either clearly succeeded or you have clearly learned. If something is yellow, tepid, right? You just did not, you didn't stretch far enough. Maybe you played it too safe. Um, you know, and, and and you didn't quite put a, a test out there that was big enough to get a result, either positive or negative, but you're either succeeding or learning. You know, it's it's one of those two things. And so you, you mentioned soccer and, and really it's uh, kids are kind of like your purest laboratory about this. Um, but we do it with the parents as well. It's like everybody raise your hand if you're going to make a mistake this season. Right. And like every every hand should go up in the room. Um, you know, I tell the parents, like, you're going to you're, you're going to behave in ways that you don't think you are right now, right? You're, you're going to get worked up by the game and you're, that's okay. Like we learn, you know, girls, I expect you to make a mistake. You know, there's a reason that we practice all this stuff every single week. I practice over and over and over again, and it's not to get to the game and then play it safe. You know, uh, I gave my, my parents a list of 60 things that are not scoring goals that they can look for as evidence that their child is growing. I mean, little things like dribbling with your head up or checking your shoulder, um, you know, looking for a pass, communicating to a teammate, all these little building blocks that are part of success that you're going to have success in. But we tend to look at the end result like, well, who scored the goal? Who scored the goal? Who, who was that person? Well, that's great. But that, that play may have started seven plays ago, you know, with a really good throw in and a really good first touch and a really good pass and so on and so forth. Um, so there's so many different parts to that that is if you believe that failure is your best teacher and that you're not afraid of failing, then you kind of remove its power to control your decision-making. Um, and there's a difference between being fearless and being reckless. Uh, and so I, I, I don't endorse recklessness, but I, I do look at things and say, you know, are, are we are we risking big enough? And, and if I could link it to, to Compassion's mission, Compassion's mission is about the violent urgency of poverty particularly in the lives of children and their families. It's, it is a violent urgency, in, in my opinion. Um, why would we not risk bigger? Why would we not um, take bigger steps, have bigger vision, um, you know, move in faster ways? Time is not on our side, right? Time is not on the side of someone who is food insecure and not, you know, uh, doesn't have proper nutrition. Time is not on the side of the person who has to choose between sending their child to school or having them go work for income, time is not on their side. We often act like time is on our side. That's a first world problem. Having too much time, killing time, that's a first world problem. Um, 
you know, when when we talk about these, I can't, I just can't separate the two, Ronnie. <laughs> they, they, they go hand in hand for me that, that we have to be putting forward a bigger vision and more action because the stakes are just so high, particularly in, in the work that I'm doing right now. I, man, it's, that's so well said. And, and I think it, it puts into light for us why, you know, our colleague uh, thinks so highly of you is to describe you as forward looking is, uh, you know, it's in the same vein as uh, as another Roosevelt, and that's Eleanor Roosevelt's, you know, do one thing every day that scares you. Like that there's value in that idea of stepping out. There's value in pushing forward and uh, and collectively, no matter where you are as a part of the supporter experience or no matter where you are in your role in philanthropy, uh, it is worth it to take a chance. It is worth it to step out. It's worth it to push something new because the stakes have never been higher, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and we just, we um, we applaud uh, the mindset that you bring to compassion. Uh, and, you know, it, it can be challenging when you work in a large organization uh, or an organization that has the legacy and the width of compassion to, uh, to be a, a spark plug and, uh, and, but we can definitely see how you are one. And so we, we appreciate that and want to encourage that, Matt, um, as we wrap our time as a part of this conversation today, if we've got, you know, folks from the sector that are listening to this and they want to, uh, pick up this conversation and, and connect with you, talk with you, how can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Uh, I always point people to LinkedIn. Uh, I used to joke that one of my superpowers was talking to strangers who contact me on LinkedIn. Uh, I love talking about compassion. I love talking about philanthropy, journey experience, uh, my own uh, life story. Uh, so I would say LinkedIn is is the absolute best place to connect uh, and, and love talking to people that, that I meet there for sure. Awesome. Matt Momberg, you're a good one, man. You're a good one. Uh, do something that scares you today, okay? Uh, I'm going to the NBA Finals Game 5 tonight. And trust me, if we win, that could get a little scary in downtown Denver. So, <laughs> All right, right on. Well, we uh, we uh, we certainly wish the Nuggets the best of luck, or I do as a Celtics fan. I wish the Nuggets the best of luck tonight. And, uh, mm-hmm. and man, we, uh, yeah, we, we'll catch up down the road. Awesome. Thank you so much. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, including how you can partner with RKD to accelerate growth for your fundraising and nonprofit marketing needs, visit rkdgroup.com.